Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, a top digital transformation podcast for healthcare executives, now in Season 4. This podcast is brought to you by Damo Consulting, a pioneering digital transformation advisory firm that works with the nation's leading healthcare enterprises. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, founder CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation: How Consumerism, Technology, and Pandemic Are Accelerating the Future, in conversation with leading digital health innovators and practitioners. The theme music for this podcast was composed and performed by Patty. I am here with Zane Burke, CEO of Quantum Health. Zane, thank you so much for setting aside the time and welcome to the show. Fantastic to be here, Patty. Thank you. Let me start with a high-level, macro-level sort of a question for you. Uh, you've been a longtime veteran in the healthcare tech space. You've been a part of large enterprise-class technology platform providers, as well as with startups that have had spectacular success. How would you describe the current state of digital health today? What's working, what's not? Maybe just touch on a couple of the high-level topics there. Sure. It's a fascinating time in digital health. I think we have seen a lot of amazing innovation where people are taking on areas that need help, need, need better healthcare experiences and better clinical and financial outcomes. And I think we've seen a number of places where there have been significant movement and a positive light for many disease states today, which is a real big positive. I think on the other side, what we've seen is almost a bigger silo of data and information and really creating too much of the just very small pockets of information with not enough views of the larger picture and the lack of integration across the person because you're Patty first, I'm Zane first. I like to go to concerts and drink wine, and that's what I do my healthcare for. I don't do healthcare to do healthcare. I don't think anybody does healthcare to do healthcare. I think they really do it to live their life. And I think it's a missing component of what's really occurring. And so we just see more and more of these little islands of information and more siloed elements. And while in those individual spaces, there are better experiences and better outcomes, we're missing this broader picture for people. Yeah, lots of good progress, lots of good stories out there, but there seems to be some continued friction as it relates to the data sources and the silos among the data. We'll drill into some of that as a part of this conversation. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you came to quantum health and what does quantum health do? Well, appreciate you asking. You know, I came to quantum health because it's really about creating a different and better healthcare experience with better financial and clinical outcomes and really looking at hard ROI within the boundaries of this, the medical spend of today. And what really attracted me, in addition to kind of that core piece there, was the people. And the business model is really the only one I've seen, particularly in digital health, is really around bringing together the plan sponsor, the member, and the provider. And really those three components were what attracted me to quantum health because I really saw this as a platform by which we could deliver what I call the the connective tissue between a clicks and mortar world. And I think that's increasingly important for people to recognize that it's not going to just be a digital health 
world only, a virtual care world only. It's the connection back to that physical piece and how do we create that singular experience for the member and make it simpler. And that's really what I saw in quantum health and really that opportunity as we move forward. So who are your main customers today? Is it employers, plans, providers? And in that same vein, who or what would you consider competition? Today, we are mostly in large self-insured employers. We scale both up and down. But if you think of a Delta Airlines, a Target, an Allstate, a Honda, those are some representative clients. And we're serving over 2 million members today in that space. And uh, that's where we got our start. We're seeing increasingly that the health plans themselves are interested in navigation, although it it directly leads to the competitive environment, which I would tell you the biggest competitor is still the health plans themselves, because you know they really think of themselves as providing that customer first experience. But unfortunately, what they've done is optimized around business processes. And what we are able to do around navigation is really be on the journey with the member by taking all the data sources in, whether it's claims data, PBM data, the provider information, and every single one of these interactions in healthcare is a health signal. And all those pieces are calibrated in our artificial intelligence to help us create the next best action. And it's really about the next best action for that member and helping them in their journey in the context of their health plan. What benefits can they be or, or in network or what's out of network? How do we get them to the right site of care? All those kinds of things. And, and when you're on a real healthcare journey, you know how difficult it is, Patty, out there to actually navigate the healthcare system. And the way that Quantum is doing it is really guiding that person through the journey. And it turns out that actually doing the right thing, making the experience better, helping people navigate to the right places is not only a better experience. So our net promoter scores are in the mid-70s. Providers who aren't our clients in any way, our provider scores are in the 70s on the net promoter scores, which I just haven't seen in any other business ever. And we're getting a hard ROI, a hard return on investment. So doing the right thing turns out to be really, really good for the sponsors and for our large self-insured employers. So it's a win-win-win across the board. But if you really look at it, it's kind of do nothing. It's still our biggest competitor. Stay with the, stay with the payer. Increasingly, you're seeing more people that call themselves navigation. But unfortunately, they think I'm going to put a little digital app on the front end and do some lightweight pieces. And, and I think what we're seeing is, yes, digital applications make a difference. Our front end is great and, and we continue to, to hone on that. But it's really, uh, it's all the data, the data science, and ultimately a personal touch that comes with that is, is what matters. And I often say this in my executive meetings, which is I get every single day, I get multiple notes from members that say, thank you for X, either better clinical outcome, better financial outcome, better experience, but it's always tied to a person. And it's always tied to one of what we call our healthcare warriors. I've never gotten a response that said, thank you for writing that software. And I think that's what healthcare is. It's intensely personal. And that's how do you connect the technical part with the personal part that makes such a huge difference. I like the fact that you alluded to the do nothing, which you know, I've been in tech in a 
for a long time and, and do nothing has always been the biggest competitor for any technology solution. And of course, in the context of healthcare, the other big competitor is, you know, who pays, right? Because healthcare is all about following the money. So could you take that question, you know, who pays for the solution in this country? No, as a self-insured employer, I guess the answer is kind of obvious, but I'd like to hear that anyway. Employers hire us and pay us a per member per month fee and on behalf of the their members. And to really become, we become the front end both for an interaction for their members. So uh, they would they would engage with us as with our providers to get paid on the backside. So literally, we create a model where it's it's a single. We're in the life flow of that member. We're in the the workflow of that physician office, and that's how we often garner a number of these health signals, and then also deliver value back to either the member or the provider on those health signals along the way. But it's coming from the sponsor themselves. And the reason the sponsor was is creating great experiences for their employees, so better healthcare experiences, but it's also creating better clinical outcomes and financial outcomes as well for the sponsors themselves. And so we are, we're seeing a significant ROI on the, on the amount of fees that they're paying. And I think that's kind of the thing when you talk about where the state of digital health is. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you're not driving value... There's yeah. just no way you're going to be in the game in the long run. Yeah, yeah. And I'll get to that in a minute. But first of all, you mentioned that your NPS scores are in the 70s. You're in Apple territory, so congratulations. So it's really fantastic. And uh, that's a testimony, I guess, to the value that your platform delivers. Let me zoom out a little bit from quantum and you know, let's talk about the market itself. Let's start with one of the topics that you referred to early on in this conversation, the data silos. You've been a senior executive at one of the big EHR platform companies, and uh, you've also been in startups on the other end of the spectrum. You've kind of seen it from both sides. Give us the state of the union on this interoperability thing. Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? You know, what's the unfinished business here? Well, it's getting better. I think what, what people have to realize is it can't be a one-way street on data. And that goes for everyone involved in the conversation. I think from an EHR perspective, we have to think about what's in it for those EHR companies and what's the value they're going to get back from the connections that they receive. And people may look at that and say, that's a bit of a jaundice view. They receive dollars from the as part of the federal programs and incentives to go drive that. And I do think there's a responsibility from those EHR companies to be open. I've long been a proponent of healthcare data should be mine as a person, not mine as a EHR company that, Patty, you ought to own your own electronic health record and I ought to own my electronic health record. And if I choose to share it, that should be my prerogative. And if I choose to turn it off, that should also be my prerogative and I should have the ability to do that. And so when you think about where I think the EHR companies have come quite a ways, uh, I think there was there's more to do. But if you think about it, the holdup on that side is still this notion of What's in it for them on the data sharing back to the EHR company from these other technologies and other pieces? And I think that's often lost in the, in the mix. And I think what you have seen in digital health has been more cooperation around the really democratizing the data and saying, 
If I have data to share, I'll share that data with our partners. If you have data on our digital health, you know, if you're in our ecosystem, you're sharing your data with us because we can provide better experiences for our members. And I would say the digital health community has done a fantastic job in data sharing for the most part in that world. And I think that's actually pretty good. And I've, I've seen it at, at Lavonga, which became Teladoc. We've shared Apple data, Fitbit data, claims data, all sorts of things as part of that conversation. We have an incredibly robust ecosystem and partner program at Quantum Health where we can connect in multitudes of ways and share information back and forth. And we think that's an important part of the responsibilities. I think there's a lot of work to do around the data and the ability of you as an individual to be able to turn that on and off and understand where your data goes. I think most people don't appreciate that once they flip the switch for their PHI to be put into an Apple Health Kit, for instance, that that data, you no longer, it's no longer PHI anymore, that it's literally part of the Apple yeah. ecosystem. Yeah. And I think some of those pieces are areas of importance for us to, to continue to, rec- to to follow through on. So I think there's a lot more to do, both from the EHR perspective, both at the digital health level and uh, this notion that your data, you shouldn't press a button and it's forever out there. <laughs> we hope you're enjoying this podcast. Visit us at democonsulting.net and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to previous episodes at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. Let's drill into that a little bit. So digital health companies, I, I agree with you. They've done a great job of opening up their data, APIs, all of that good stuff. Uh, but they're in their own ecosystem. You've got the EHR vendors who are in their own ecosystem. You've got the consumer. And to your point, you know, consumer is kind of somewhere in the middle. You know, they really have very little control over uh, their data. So setting aside the consumers and whether they should get access to their data and how their data should be provided to them and what kind of caveats and what kind of guardrails should be there so that the data is not abused in a way that they cannot even understand, to your point. But really, for digital health companies, this is more of an existential issue. If they cannot access the data easily from an EHR system, because at the end of the day, if you don't have access to the core medical information about patients that are sitting inside an EHR, what is the true value of a digital health solution? What would you have to say about that? And where do you think that leaves digital health companies today? Well, obviously, it can be much more robust to have the EHR data in those digital health elements. But what I would say is there is a ton of information in these digital health organizations that are clinically relevant back to those EHR organizations, back to the provider, quite frankly, that... I don't think digital health has actually stepped up to the plate to embrace the provider meaningfully. And I think I actually think quantum is the, one of the lone exceptions out there in terms of, hey, there's, a, there's an opportunity to give back here. I think there's a reason why our provider scores are, are so high beyond how the understanding of the, the benefits paid and those elements. It's like you actually get some feedback from the first time from the digital health community. So I do think there's actually more the digital health community can and should do Mm-hmm. to close the loop. It's painful and hard work, but it needs to be done. And I think that's part of a responsibility of being in healthcare. You can get a lot of value in those disease-specific condition states with those digital health yeah. applications. 
you gain a lot through the claims data and the PBM data, et cetera. And it would be beneficial to have more access in the EHR side. And I think that'll come. I really believe yeah. that. I believe that's on the right trajectory. I think everybody in the ecosystem has to remember you have a responsibility to close the loop on behalf of the member. And that includes back into the providers themselves and doing that in a way that's, that's useful to the provider and not in a way that just becomes burdensome to the provider. It's just one more thing that we put on their plate that they have to yeah. sift through. Yeah. And Livongo, where you were part of the leadership, you know, reportedly did an outstanding job of creating this, this rich data for specific disease states, which could then be uh, monetized and uh, used for driving population health outcomes in diabetes and so on. And of course, Livongo was a spectacular success, you know, successful exit. I want to actually switch topics. The Livongo exit kind of paved the way in some ways for some of these large exits that we're seeing in this current year. One medical with Amazon, we saw Signify, CVS. There's reports in the papers about Keno Health that is likely to go through some kind of an event. Can you share your thoughts on the M&A environment in the marketplace today in light of the fact that a lot of digital health companies are actually struggling at the same time? Yeah, so the macro financial markets are very tough and challenging for fundraising for digital health solutions. And I see that for the next 12 to 18 months, that's going to be the the case. And that's going to have implications. I think there will be people that run out of funding, that they've had business models that just haven't been shown profitability in those pieces. And that will have ramifications on the marketplace. And those with deep balance sheets are going to be in the best position to scoop some of those pieces up. So you've got that dynamic. You alluded to the amount of M&A activity, and I think you're going to see more because of the financial challenges that I spoke to to start with. And Amazon One Medical and Signify CVS combinations, I think it proves what I've a thesis that I've long believed that it ultimately requires personal service. That yes, technology is, is critically important, that you can deliver great experiences through the technology. You can help people practice at more at the top of their license, so to speak, whether that's truly a professional license or just, you know, at the, at the top of their game. But at the end of the day, it's the personal touch that matters. And I think both of those combinations really are, are big signals that it's the delivery of care integrated into the digital aspects of this that people are betting on in the future and, and thinking that it's, again, back to it's going to be a digital only world is just not how healthcare is delivered. And the big value is always in the cases that are the most expensive, you know, you know the, the top 1% driving 50% of costs. Yeah. And, but you've got to know, as I like to say, you have to know the whole phone book to be able to dial in and say, this person is the one that's going to be on this journey. How do we engage with this person early and often and get them the right kind of information before all the choices have been made? Uh, yeah. And I think that requires the digital pieces along with the personal touch pieces. And I do think you're going to see much more M&A activity for those who have deep pockets on a go-forward basis. Well. So it's a perfect segue. Speaking of deep pockets, and you've got big tech firms like Amazon that are actively getting into the core healthcare services space. And in that sense, they're clearly distinct from the other big tech firms who have 
chosen to remain technology providers to the healthcare ecosystem instead of directly getting into the healthcare business themselves. So what's your high level, you know, one or two thoughts on the role of big tech in the healthcare ecosystem going forward? What do you make of companies like Amazon getting directly into the healthcare services space? Well, this might be the part where I've been around the block for too many times. And so I'm a bit cynical a bit, and I'm not a cynic by nature. So those that know me well know I'm an optimist and I'm a half full kind of a person, but I've seen IBM and help try to get in healthcare four times. I've seen Google try to get in it at least twice. I've seen Microsoft in it at least three times. Back in the day, McDonald, Douglas, American Express, a number of, mm-hmm. of GE, great, another great, good, good example, Patty. There's a lot of dead bodies on the side of the road. Healthcare is a humbling experience. It's a humbling experience for me every day. There's reasons why your podcast is so wonderful because I think what you see is you turn this gemstone of healthcare and it just, depending on what lens you look at it through, you just get a different viewpoint every time. And I think that's one of the fun parts of my own personal career is being able to kind of turn the gemstone and see it through a couple different ways. And I'm humbled every day what I don't know. So, and what I get to learn and try to say, you know what, I want to make a difference. So I think there's a role for big companies. I think they may be the beneficiary of a downturn in the financial market side because they have such strong financial statements and they may be able to acquire some technologies that they otherwise would not have probably fit their profit profiles and otherwise. And so I think this is going to be a little bit different time. While I'm on the one hand cynical because I've seen large companies not be successful, I'm on the other hand hopeful that they'll provide the kind of capital that's going to be necessary to see some of these technologies reach their full potential. And that's my, so I can be on the one hand pessimistic, on the other hand, optimistic and say that'll happen. Um, You know, I look at the company I used to be associated with at Sarner and Oracle joining that fray. And on the one hand, I'm optimistic that contemporizing the Cerner platform and truly getting to a cloud-based environment and, and doing some of the things that Oracle is kind of uniquely capable to do would be super beneficial for Cerner. On the flip side, I've seen where large companies think they know it all and the smart people have come to save the people that, to save the, the unworthy. And I'm a, I'm a little, so my, the part I might have concern about in, in those kind of scenarios is there's a reason why Oracle tried to get in this business before. Uh, I remember the digital health hospital, I think it was 1990 something. For that was before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I told you I'm old enough to be around. And again, I'm not being critical of, of Oracle or others that have tried and failed. And it just it's too big a market to ignore, 20% of GDP. We're going to see big part players in this space. I think the ones that will be successful are the ones that say, I know how to scale I know how to think about technology, but I've got to embrace everything that is healthcare and understand that there's different dynamics at play here from the payer models to you know, the consumer models, the providers, and all the elements are thereof. And if you think you invented it at your shop, you're probably wrong. That's what I would. And again, as I say, every single day, unfortunately, I, I get to learn something. I got to tell you, Zane, you packed a lot of information, both explicitly and between the lines in there. And those who are listening to the podcast, I'm going to 
I'm going to suggest that they go back and listen to your comments a second time. Coming up to the end of our time here, I want to just touch on one more topic. This year has been a bad one for health systems, financially speaking. Without exception, it seems like all the big health systems are posting losses. And we all know some of the reasons, the labor costs, you know, shortage of labor, a variety of things. But what it's also doing as a consequence of this macro situation is that it's increasing the scrutiny on all kinds of investments, including technology investments. So two-part question for you. Is this going to slow down the pace of digital transformation? And second part is, what is your advice? One piece of advice to the health systems, one piece of advice to digital health startups who are trying to play in this environment. You're 100% right. I sit on the largest safety net hospital in Missouri, and they've prudently managed through what has been a very challenging time. And many of my health system clients have had some significant challenges, and we actually have a number of health system clients utilizing our services at Quantum. I think the focus, they've got to be focused on value uh, received and also making their, their own employee base feel loved and cared for. I mean, I think oftentimes the health professionals are providing the love and care. And I think it's really important for the health systems to really provide that love and care back because it's, it has just been an unbelievably taxing time to be a health system provider and any kind of health system worker over the last couple of years. And, and so for me, it's, it's, it's just thinking about the, the, the employee population and then the value, the places they can go to the first dollar value plays. And so how can you as a health organization not be subjected to what's going to be a downward trend around the, in the value-based care and otherwise as people come after the, the big spend items they're going to have to think about how they're providing unique value and how they're going after first and dollar. It's a tricky time. If you're a digital health providers, you better be delivering a heck of a lot of RO, hard ROI or you're just going to be out of business. That just so, that's what healthcare has always been about, right? Show me the money. You know? <laughs> so Zane, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. It's been a wonderful conversation. And uh, thank you so much again for joining me on this podcast. And all the very best to you in your new role at Quantum and also to, to the rest of the Quantum team. Thank you once again. Thank you so much, Patty. Really enjoyed the time. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at thebigunlock.com with your feedback and questions. 